Our scripture lesson continues now with the night of Easter from the Gospel of John. And when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. One week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So not long ago, I was going through some old boxes and I came upon a box of teeny tiny little video cassettes. Do any of you remember those? I know I'm dating myself. Teeny tiny cassettes. They used to, for those of you who don't know, we used to carry these big video recorders around. And these little cassettes would go in and out of them. And this box and all these cassettes kind of took me back. It took me back to a different time in my life when my schedule and priorities actually swirled around my kids' activities. Some of you are there right now, right? Dance performances, ball games, music concerts, track meets, marching band competitions, like so many of you for almost two decades, these things filled my calendar and filled my days. And like many of you, I was determined to be there for all of it, right? I wasn't gonna miss any of it. And I was gonna have that video recorder in hand, right, when I was there. Now that's a worthy goal, right? It's a noble ideal, but I had three children. And each child had about four different activities, right? So inevitably, there were conflicts. And that's when it would happen, right? One of my kids would get a special award that we didn't know about. Or they would have this stellar performance. Or one time, a district record time. Or a first place finish. And guess what? I missed it. I wasn't there. I bet some of you can feel my pain a little bit, right? Well, our text this morning records a similar experience for the disciple known as Thomas. Poor Thomas. 
he missed Easter. He did. He wasn't at the tomb with the women early in the morning. He didn't hear any angels proclaim he's risen. He didn't see the stone rolled away. He didn't visit the empty tomb like Peter and John. He didn't bump into the risen Christ like Mary in the garden. He wasn't even in the upper room with the rest of Jesus' followers later that evening when Jesus finally appeared to everybody. The unluckiest of all disciples hears this thrilling story. We have seen the Lord. And he also hears that unspoken statement hanging in the air, you missed it. Thomas missed it. He missed seeing Jesus. But more importantly, he missed what that appearance did for Jesus' followers, right? He missed being raised, being raised from his hopelessness and his grief, his confusion and his doubt. And while he missed the hope splashed into the lives of Jesus' followers, he did not miss the events three days before the resurrection. That scene, that scene of Jesus' death, that was burned into his memory, a scene of horror and hatred, of violence and death. How was Thomas supposed to rise above such a thing? How was he supposed to accept his friend's news? Unless I see Jesus myself, he said, unless I see his wounded body walking around, unless I can touch those wounds, I can't believe you. So the church has always called him Doubting Thomas, and I think that's completely unfair. Especially if you look at his other appearances in the Gospel of John. Take, for instance, chapter 11 of John's Gospel, when only Thomas courageously speaks out, let us go, let us go to Jerusalem and die with Jesus. That's Thomas. Or chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is talking about leaving to prepare a place for them, and he says, you know where I am going. And everyone just sits there. Everyone's afraid to ask for clarification. Everyone except Thomas. It's Thomas who admits to Jesus, Lord, we really don't know where you're going. So how are we going to find the way? In other words, John's gospel shows Thomas to be realistic, steady, and sure. He's actually an impressive disciple. He's as impressive as Peter, the blundering brash fool who rushes in with his mouth and heart before he thinks things through, or James and John who are caught up in their ambition to be Jesus' second chair. Actually, of this crew, I would choose Thomas as my project manager hands down. Yet in this moment, seven days after Easter, we find Thomas faltering. We find him stuck. We see him caught between his very real sorrow, the experience of evil that brought down everything he loved and hoped for on the one hand, and a testimony, a whisper of resurrection on the other. A devastating experience and a whisper of resurrection. Let me tell you, I am grateful for Thomas's story in John's gospel. 
I'm grateful because I experience this dilemma all the time. So does the church, and so have you most likely. Hearing the whisper of resurrection on the one hand beckoning us toward hope and faith, while seeing and experiencing brokenness and evil on the other. Serene Jones, a theology professor and seminary president, says it this way, Thomas is actually the incredulous non-believer who hides inside every believing Christian, the questioner in us that resists easy answers to the hard questions of life. You see, whenever you take faith seriously, seriously, there is a struggle. A struggle between the whispers of resurrection we hear and the very real experiences and events that bring us low. This struggle for those growing in faith, this struggle never ends, at least not on this side of eternity. And that's what makes Easter Sunday so very special, right? It's that one day when in worship, the music, the flowers, the packed pews keep the struggle of faith at bay. And I hope you were here last week to experience that for just a while. Our grief and hopelessness, fear and anger, regret and guilt, they kind of disappear in a wash of hallelujahs. The whisper of resurrection becomes so loud, it's really more like a shout, and it's glorious. But today is an Easter, <laughs> in case you hadn't noticed, my friends. No, we are gathering seven days later. Seven days later. No lilies, no orchestra, no packed pews. And like Thomas, the things we experience and see crowd our hearts and minds, for many questions and doubts can't be kept at bay. And the whisper of resurrection, it just isn't always enough. No, we stand in need of the real thing. We need Easter. The things that bind us and hurt us, that break our hearts and drain our souls, these things need raising, they need transformation, they need new life and hope. And here's the good news, the good news, Jesus knows our need. Jesus always knows our need. When Thomas found himself in such need, Jesus came to him. No locked door, no pain, no fear, no doubt keeps Jesus from bringing Thomas exactly what he needs. Do not doubt, he says, but believe. And then it happens. Easter for Thomas, seven days late. It happens. Was it because of the peace that Jesus offered? Was it the power of the Holy Spirit? Was it the appearance of the familiar Jesus with wounds, the very wounds that Thomas saw inflicted, profound hope springing from deep pain? No one really knows. What we do know is that Thomas was raised, raised from doubt to belief, from despair to hope, from sorrow to pain, to joy, sorry. And Thomas's response goes far beyond a statement of faith. No, when Thomas explains, my Lord and my God, it is resurrection, a blazing moment of recognition that raises Thomas and restores his faith. Easter for Thomas. 
just when he needed it, just how he needed it. And it came without an orchestra or flowers. It came without a packed sanctuary or an angel or even an empty tomb. Easter came to Thomas as the risen Christ met him, as the risen Christ met his need. This morning, seven days after the church's celebration of Easter, let me remind you that Easter is like that. It is not on schedule. (laughs) It is not dependent upon trappings or facts. It can't be manufactured, and it certainly can't be controlled. But in just the right time and just the right way, the faithful continue to be raised day after day, week after week, and year after year. That's why Jesus blesses us. Yes, blesses us in our passage this morning. Blessed are those, he says, who have not seen me and yet believe. It's a strange blessing, I know. After all, as Frederick Beekner writes, it's hard to imagine that there's a believer anywhere who wouldn't have traded places with Thomas that day. But Jesus knew something that Thomas and the other disciples in the upper room could not know. Jesus knew that his risen life had just begun. Jesus knew that generations of faithful would join in that risen life, being blessed and blessing the world. Jesus knew that by their testimony, by their life together, with the help of the Spirit, his beloved followers would be raised, and it would happen again and again. They would be raised to more compassion, to more joy, more hope, and more energy for abundant life that transforms this world. And it would happen inch by inch, relationship by relationship, community by community. So, we gather in Sunday school classes and Bible studies. We gather in worship and in life groups. We give Bibles to our children. We ordain and install deacons for the church. We do this, my friends, because we know that where two or three are gathered, Christ's presence enters in and Easter happens. We do this because we know that as scripture is read and proclaimed, Christ's presence enters in and Easter happens. We do this because we know that when we care for one another, in Jesus' name, Christ's presence enters in and Easter happens. Without lilies, without Handel's Messiah, without brass or 1,500 people packed into the sanctuary, Easter happens. And blessed are we, blessed are we who have not yet seen, but believe. Bless you, Jesus says, bless you, and may you bless others. And blessed are we even when we miss Easter. When the locked doors and binding fears and brokenness of life threaten to silence the sweet whisper of resurrection, bless you too. Because if that's where you are, you've come to the right place for resurrection. My prayer for us, for this church, is that in Thomas' story, we hear a whisper of resurrection. In the smile of someone very near, we feel lifted 
in the shelter of this beautiful sanctuary, our eyes and hearts are raised. Don't be fooled. God's power to overcome, to raise us up, to turn things around, to usher in a greater future, it always stands before us. And Easter, by the grace of God, is always right around the corner. That means even on an ordinary day like this one, with all evidence to the contrary, Easter faith, it bubbles up and it washes over us. Beloved in Christ, on this regular day, seven days after Easter, hear the good news. The risen one has overcome. And every doubt and for every fear, there is an empty grave. Jesus Christ, the risen one, has overcome. And may the whisper of resurrection continue to guide us this day and in the days to come. Alleluia. Amen. Amen.